Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might be presented mature and blameless in Christ. Therefore, let us hear the word that the Lord has given us. Amen. A reading from the Holy Scriptures, the first letter of John, chapter 3, beginning with the fourth verse. You can find that imprinted in your bulletin, in your Bible. It's sort of all the way in the back. I forgot to write down what page it is in the Pew Bible. But if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles, um, some in the chairs, backs in front of you. And we welcome you to take those and have it with you. First John, chapter 3. Verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to get that printed in the bulletin one of these days. No, no, you worry. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Practice what you preach. Amen? Ooh. Practice what you preach. Do you know where that saying comes from? It's a good guess. Jesus, right? Speaking to the crowds in the temple just days before he would be unjustly arrested and murdered, Jesus said this, Matthew 23, 2. The scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in the seat of Moses. So do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works that they do. 
for they preach, but do not practice. They preach, but do not practice. That's a serious warning. But it's also an invitation from our Lord Jesus, whom we preach, to practice life in him. So let's talk about what we're preaching, and let's talk about what we're practicing, okay? What do we preach here? Righteousness. Righteousness. We preach with the apostles the good news, the power of God for salvation to all who believe, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness is the extent to which someone is right, is all right, is upright, is in the right, is right by. One's righteousness is one's conformity to what should be, to what is good. God himself defines perfect righteousness in his will and in his very being. It is his rightness, his Justice. Justice and righteousness are the same Greek word, in case you're wondering. And he's revealed it. In what? Or rather, in whom? In Jesus Christ, the righteous, who has become to us righteousness from God. He appeared to reveal to manifest, to disclose, to demonstrate, to accomplish, to offer, to extend, to shower over the unrighteous world God's righteousness. And the apostle tells us how, right? Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And verse 8, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh come to take away sins and to destroy the works of the devil so that he might make God known to us. Why? Consider the Lord's own parable. This is from Luke 13, 6 through 9. Jesus said this, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this tree and found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up all of this ground? And the vine dresser answered him, Sir, let it alone just this year. I will dig around it and put fertilizer on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, and cut it down. The heart of God revealed in Jesus Christ is this. 
Though his very good gardens are overgrown and overrun, bearing naught but rot and blight, with even the littlest fruits, wild and wilting and without hope, he does not bulldoze it for townhomes. Rather, he appears as a humble gardener, down in the dirt, sweating as he digs, smelling the manure in his hands, smiling for joy at the worth of the work. And it is a taxing work. For see, sin is in the vineyard. It's in the vines, it's in the seeds itself, and it's against the gardener and his garden. What does our catechism say? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. In John's words, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. And verse 8, sin is the work of the devil. Sin is alien and corrupting. Sin is that injection of corruption that turned the beauty of the land beyond the Louisiana Purchase into the misery of the wild, wild west. Devilish enticements of human desires confused freedom for lawlessness. Our natural fallen hearts are the wild, wild west of gardens. They prefer a false freedom of independence from their creator rather than the true freedom of dependence upon their gardener, their father, who loves them and gives himself for it. And so first, he had to come and take away and destroy that which was corrupting, right? That's why Jesus appeared. But a gardener who only pulls weeds and doesn't plant anything, well, soon he's just going to have a lifeless patch of dirt. God is not lifeless. He is the God of the living. His very being in life is life. And there is nothing that he does that is fruitless. He sows seed. Verse 9 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Like seeds in a garden. Sprouted by the seed of God's word and scripture. Sown by the incarnate word, his son. Grown in the soil of his body, the church. And nourished by the life of the Holy Spirit. We are his plants. But not merely his plants. Utilized for market. We are his children. Children who are the fruit of the seed of love. Recall verse 1 of this chapter. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so, and so we are. 
And the love that God has given to us, to us in his Son and his Spirit, that is his very self, perfect and eternal trinity. That's what we preach. That he appeared to make himself known intimately in relationship as a father with his child. Christ cleared the way that we might behold God, be held by God. That's a beholden relationship. And that's an important key for us to play the word righteousness in. When we preach Christ, the righteousness of God, we mean he did perfectly what is right. Not just in terms of the law of God, fulfilling all of its demands correctly, but being right by God in relation to him. And right by us. See, righteousness is covenantal is covenantal. A covenant is a promise-bound relationship, right? It's doing right by the relationship. Mankind has not done right by the relationship, nor have we done right by one another. Even the chosen people of God, Israel, who were given all of his blessings and his law and his very self, they did not do right by their covenant with God. But Jesus did. The Apostle Paul writes it so passionately in Galatians. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer slaves, but sons. And if sons, then heirs. Heirs to all his right. Tender seedlings prized plants, beloved children of the eternal God, heirs of eternal life. This is your identity. Not yours by your right, but by his right. Because of God's own right to it by his son who loved you and gave himself for you. He lavishes his rightness upon you. Our right to the love of God and his gifts we have by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Mm. All right. We're going to have to work on that. All right. It's important for us then to hear this call. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation an atonement 
by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, today, so that he might be just and justifier of all who believe in Jesus Christ. He is speaking to you today. If you would hear his voice, harden not your hearts. He has come to take away your overgrowth and destroy your snares, intend to you as a plant, invite you into relationship as a child. He has made the way. Would you behold him? Would you believe him? Would you be loved by him? He desires you. And so how do we do that? How do we let him? With practice. With practice. Let's talk about practice. What are we practicing? It's the same thing we're preaching. Righteousness. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. See, not only has the righteousness of God already been revealed in Christ, it is being revealed by Christ in Christians, Christ's body. The Apostle Paul says again in his second letter to the Corinthians, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become the righteousness of God. This is what he did, and this is what he's doing. It is his gift, and it is his goal. Therefore, if we say we belong to Jesus Christ, that we have beheld his glory, that we believe his promises, right? let no one deceive us. You must behave and become him. You I, we, the church, must become Christ's righteousness. To become is to grow into, right? Like an acorn becomes an oak, or an apprentice becomes a teacher. But it's also to grow into something, right? Up into it, to fit into something, to be fitting, A son doesn't just become like his father. It is becoming that he becomes like his father. It is right. It is fitting. The Apostle Paul says this elsewhere. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, put on the new self after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
To become the righteousness of God, then, is to grow into it like a maturing son grows into his proud father's prized jacket. It's not a natural growth, though. Naturally, we'll grow in all the wrong directions, much like eating sweets as opposed to eating good amounts of protein and vegetables, right? You will grow, we say that all the time, you'll grow, I'm growing the wrong direction, right? Okay, we grow the wrong direction. And we won't, won't even not fit into the jacket, we'll forget it and we'll reject it. But it takes nurture. It takes discipline. It takes practice. We gotta work out if we're to fill out and fit into this calling. We have to practice righteousness if we're to become his righteousness. So how does one practice righteousness? Well, like the discipline of exercise, you have to make it a habit. Let's talk about habits. A habit, according to Oxford, is a settled or regular tendency or practice. It's something subconsciously driven, formed by either intentional or unintentional acquisition through practice. We all have habits we could name, right? You all have habits you could name, right? You have far more that you could not name. For example, I can say confidently to you that almost always you brush your teeth in exactly the same way every day. You respond to certain people and coworkers exactly the same way every time. Your response to traffic Emails, acquaintances, stress is predictable, patterned practice called habit. And these predictable, patterned practices called habits shape us. They are the product of our loves. That is what our desires fix onto. And we are the product of them. And so, as the philosopher J.K.A. Smith says, rightly, you are what you love. You are formed by what you practice. And you practice after what you love. This is important for us. You are not what you believe, what you think, or what you know. Thoughts and words are cheap and can be bent far, far more easily to our whims and our wishes than our whims and our wishes can be bent to our words. That's why there's hypocrisy. That's why Jesus is so often against hypocrisy. People who say they believe one thing and behave differently. Furthermore, that's why there's advertising, right? So if you don't believe my take on human formation here, just follow the money, okay? The global ad industry now stands at $766 billion and is expected to hit $1 trillion by 2025. 
Why? Well, because it helps people sell their products to greater consumer bases. Yeah, but why? Because advertising shapes your desires. Desires direct habits. Habits are predictable, patterned practices that can be accounted for, tracked, and sold. As one former industry whiz eerily observes it in the documentary Social Dilemma, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Your habits are for sale in this world. And so who is forming your habits? Are your conscious desires causing you to make a practice of sinning? Are your unconscious habits practices of sinning? Do not hide behind personality or normality. Both are the product of practices and will be judged by our Lord. Are your habits of time, money, speech, recreation, practices of sin, or practices of righteousness? For by them, verse 10, it is evident who are the children of God and the children of the devil. In revealing his righteousness to be received by faith, God intends to produce righteousness in practice. We then who would believe in him must be intentional then to not be deceived astray, but to remain, to abide, to inhabit. Practicing righteousness is in the intentionality of the rhythms of our life, inhabiting Christ, our righteousness. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Abide in my love. Abiding is a sort of restful, inactive kind of word, right? Stay put. Yet practice is a kind of active sort of a word especially when we recognize that we're always practicing, whether we intend to or not. And so we need to be very intentional about actively practicing, okay? And so we need confidence. And friends, you may be confident that you actively abide, that you intentionally inhabit, that you purposefully practice the righteousness of God when you make a habit of the scriptures. When you make a habit of the scriptures. It's neat that, remember the origin of the word habit is actually something worn, like a garment, right? Like you might call a religious habit. Or is some place lived in, like a habitation. 
we put on, we live in, we make a habit of the scriptures. How to put on Christ? Put on the scriptures. How to practice his righteousness? Practice his words. Practice his words. And I'm being intentional with my words here. I am not saying apply his words. Much confusion and consternation in the Christian life, I think, comes from taking on a job that is not given to us. Application of the word is solely the job of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it. Yet how often do we, do our leaders, do our evangelical industry publishers take upon themselves to tell us the application of the meaning of Scripture? And meanwhile, we don't tend to know very much Scripture. And surprise, the applications seem really varying, don't they? We are to inhabit the words of Scripture. When you inhabit the actual, physical, given words of these scriptures, you can then trust that the Spirit will apply them to you. It may be painful, like taking away or destroying, but it is to give life. You can be free to rest and trust But that's practice, to rehearse the words of Scripture. For example, when I hear a bird sing, I say these words, look at the birds of the air. Have they neither toil nor reap nor sow into barns, and yet your heavenly Father provides for them. Are you not of more value than they? When I am frustrated with my wife, be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. When Christianity seems ridiculous and doubts and desires pull at me, I rehearse, Lord, to whom else shall I go? You have the words of eternal life, and I have come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Make a habit of righteousness a matter of rehearsal. To rehearse, we have to hear regularly, intensely, readily. It is re-hearing, reminding, remembering us as members of the body of Christ. This is liturgy. And I know liturgy may connote negative images of pomp and circumstance to some of us. And you may ask whether how much liturgy we should practice or whether we should have liturgies at all. But I may say, as one who I hope is trustworthy in the Lord, that it's nonsense to ask whether we should practice liturgies. You all practice liturgies. Everyone practices liturgies. Every day you inhabit liturgies oriented toward the oblations and obligations of your life, your loves. They are either formed for good works or bad ones, towards God or toward idols, 
practices of righteousness or practices of sin. The liturgy of the Lord's Day worship, then, is the most crucial, central, communicative practice of righteousness we can inhabit. To make a practice of regularly and readily, that is, religiously, attending attentively to the corporate worship of God is the effective inhabitation of righteousness. For in the liturgy, we worship, we preach, and we practice. We are brought in and sent out, inscripturated, right? Inhabited, formed by and for practice of what we preach. See, just as our corporate worship is inscripturated, informed by the scriptures, so to and must our lives also be formed. There is a liturgy of the ordinary, as Sister Tish Harrison Warren puts it, and I recommend it's a noticeable book. It's green and has peanut butter and jelly on it. You can find it, okay? I recommend this, just as I recommend Smith's book, You Are What You Love. Happy to talk about them later. But there is a liturgy of the ordinary. In the ordinary parts of our lives, how do we frame them? What do we practice? We are invited, commanded, to practice righteousness by practicing the words of Scripture. So rehearse the words of God in moments of your lives. Use note cards, use post-its, use journals, share them, speak to one another with them. When you enter someone's house or you enter your own house, what scripture might you practice? When you get into your car or out of your car, what scripture might you practice? When you sit down at your desk or for lunch or for a conversation, what scripture might you practice before you reach for your phone, before you say something to that person? What scripture might you practice when you feel anxiety or fear or freedom, when you feel angry or resentment or love, when you feel shame or sadness or joy, what scripture might you practice? It's in these rehearsals that we grow, we mature and fit up into the righteousness of God given to us. And they will help sustain us when we get into the harder moments of life. When the loved one is in the hospital, or you yourself. When the world seems to be crashing down upon you, when temptation seems to be ravaging you, when violence is about you, when you're on your deathbed. What scripture will you rehearse? In their rehearsal, you are conformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you grow up into God's righteousness together, bearing the fruit of righteousness he planted in you. This is his promise, to taste and see that he is good. Amen?